want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. I, I, I realized this, and I was sitting down here, or standing and sitting both today, and, and actually before Sunday school even, and I began to get this thought in my, my mind, and it wasn't a thought that came from me. I don't believe it was from me. I believe it was from the Lord, but I also believe the enemy. The enemy was beginning to exert some pressure. The enemy hates this subject of prayer. He just hates it. Hates it. You want to talk about clapping your hands or dancing for joy, fine, go ahead and do that. But when we start talking about prayer, we're start, we are talking about communicating with God. And if we, if we learn one thing this morning in our, in our uh, previous Sunday school class, is that God wants to communicate to us. He is very interested. He is just, it's, he's just critically interested in speaking to our lives, talking to us, and so that in a way that we're going to understand. Look, God, God speaks in many different ways and, and, and manners and everything, but I, I think one of the things that uh, we just need to be awakened, if you will, just our mind needs to be tuned up and tweaked so that we can really hear from God. I'm going to use a text this morning as, uh, as a means of kind of getting us jump-started into this topic. And it goes like this, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Jesus is speaking here. His disciples are wanting to know how to pray. They weren't quite understanding this, and I, I think I can relate to this. Probably you can too in some ways. And so he says, here, let me give you some pointers. This is how you can pray. Here we go. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. You know, I can't really imagine that in my mind's eye. Can you imagine these Pharisees? They're all, got, they're all robed up and everything. And I mean, these guys are really decked out, and they're on the street corner, and they're praying. I have nothing against standing on the street praying, but I'm telling you, they weren't just praying, dear Lord, help us to reach the people of Pocahontas. I mean, they were shouting, they were screaming. And on the other corner, here's a bunch of them over there, they're doing, the, it's almost like, it, it was a competitive type of a thing. And everything going on like this. It was just, it was just wild. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that stuff. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, Pray to the Father who is in, a, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. And I want you to help me with this last portion. Would you do that for me, please? Can you help me? I bet you know it. I bet, how many can close their book, Bibles, and do it from memory? One. <laughs> We're not doing as good as I thought we might here. <laughs> okay, thank you. Let's do it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I feel better, don't you? I really feel good. When we're speaking about spiritual warfare and the various armaments that God has given us, one of these things that it's almost like a drop-in in the text on these, uh, these spiritual armaments from uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And he says, put on each piece with prayer. With prayer. And it's it, it just, it just sort of a mention but I think it's more than a mention. It's more than just, uh, okay, oh, by the way, let's pray. Um, and those sort of things. By the way, we're, we're, we're just doing this and this and that. Oh, we should pray. It's more than that. I think this is, I think if anything, this is like the glue. This is like the mortar that holds these bricks together that are designed to protect us and to watch over us in all of these things. I know a couple, three, four years ago, I used an illustration. Let me share it again with you because I think it fits so well here. It's so appropriate about the need for prayer, about the power of prayer. Prayer is very powerful. Things begin to happen when God's people begin to pray. That's no kidding. You're going to stir up a lot of things. You're going to stir up a lot of things of God. You're going to stir the devil up a little bit on this whole thing too. That's why we need the armaments of God. But everything like this. Dallas Theological Seminary is considered one of the very finest in America today. It's top tier. And everything like that. But in its early days, it struggled. It struggled especially in the financial area. And the year was 1924, shortly after its founding. Dr. Lewis Sperry Schaefer was the president of the seminary at that time. And he was in his office joined by none other than a guy named Harry Ironside, a renowned Bible preacher and teacher. And they were praying. It was a prayer of desperation. It was a prayer reflecting and outlining the financial need of this fledgling seminary. And it was Harry Ironside, and by the way, I've got some of their books. They're that good. I mean, they're, they're about 90-some years old now, and they're that good. Harry Ironside was praying, lifting his voice up, and with his voice, he said, Oh, God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, and we need you to sell some of them. That was his prayer, literally. That's word for word. In the outer office, a Texan rancher had walked in and handed the secretary a check. He says, I don't know why, but I think God told me to take this check and bring it to you and give it to the seminary. And with that, the secretary tapped on the door Dr. Schaefer went to the door and she handed him the check. He looked at the check and he said to Harry, 
Harry, God sold the cattle. It was what they needed, and in that day it was $10,000. That was an answer to prayer, wasn't it? It was an answer to two people and probably others at other places who were interceding for that fledgling little school to keep it going. I tell you one that's a little more personal. And it happened, it happened to me while I was in Iowa. I could tell you the exact spot. I was north of Boxholm on Highway 169. I was going back to campus. I would be back. It would take another, oh, I don't know, seven hours before I'd get back on campus. And it was about mid-morning. And we were in desperate need for funding. We just were desperate. And in fact, we had a payroll coming up on Thursday, and, and we simply did not have money in the bank for the payroll. We had money in the bank, but it was all earmarked. And it's against the law to do anything but what is supposed to be done. And I'd been praying, and others had been praying. Keith Hafey was our business manager, and Keith was a great guy. He was a rancher, but he's also a CPA, and he was our full-time business manager. And Keith, I, you know, Keith was one of these nervous types. And I'm not saying that I am not a nervous type at times, but Keith really was. And he, I mean, he, he would just come up maybe twice a day wringing his hands. He said, he, he said I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. I said, Keith, we've got to pray. We've got to believe God. He says, yeah, but we need $280,000. I said, I know, we've got to believe God. It was like, okay, I'm okay with believing God for $29, but not to. And North of Boxholm, my car phone, right? I had a car phone. We, I did not have a uh, smartphone. Smartphones, I don't think, had come along yet. Car phone rang, I picked it up, and I recognized the voice of a, of a guy that I, that I had know, known for several years, actually, and dealt with some financial matters, and he says, uh, hey, he says, where are you at? I said, I'm north of, I'm in north central Iowa, heading back to campus. He said, are you setting down? I said, yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the famous Chrysler Gospel Cruiser, <laughs> heading north. He says, well, you may want to pull over. He says, I got some good news for you. We've got a check here for $281,000. What do you want me to do with it? I mean, what do you want me to do with it? I'll turn around and drive back to Springfield and grab it out of your hands if I have to. I said, do an electronic transfer into Starion Bank into our general account. Then I called Keith. I said, Keith, God came through. This afternoon by 2 o'clock, there will be 281000 in our general account. And I said, I told you, Keith, there is a key that is not on your 10-key keyboard, and the key is faith. It is faith. God takes impossible situations and oftentimes turns it around. Folks, prayer is like a landing strip that is built for God. So that God and his provision, God and his great work, whatever it might be, can land on that strip as we pray and as we seek God. Prayer is the, it's the building of the fireplace 
so the Holy Spirit can light the fire that opens up the pleasures of God in our, in our life. In that first century, mountains. Mountains were like metaphors for insurmountable uh, uh, obstacles and problems. And we have these mountains today, don't we? We still have mountains in our lives. We have mountains in our, in our businesses. We have mountains in our church. All of these things, all of these things uh, that, that God wants to work in. And how does God move mountains? The Bible says that it takes faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, the very smallest, tiniest seed in the garden. And when we plant it in the soil that has been tilled because of prayer, tilled because of faith, God begins to grow and God begins to do things in our lives and in our situation. Understand something. Going to church does not move mountains. Singing praise songs does not move mountains. Giving money, no matter how much money it is, does not move mountains. Worry is not going to bring down a mountain that's in your life or in our way. And all of our activities that are combined together and put into one source is not going to bring down the mountain. The mountain is moved because of prayer. It's because we have prayed. It is because we have sought God. It is because we have called out to God and God has responded to the need. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16, it's an interesting passage. It has to do with Paul and Silas. They're in jail. They are in jail. It's midnight. And what were Paul and Silas doing? Biting their nails, worrying, wondering how do we get out of this fix that we're in. None of these things. The Bible says we were praying and we were singing praise and all of a sudden, boom! There's an earthquake. And they're sitting here chained up and the chains drop off. They walk out of the prison. The jailer is about to go ballistic and perhaps even commit suicide. And Paul says, don't do that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And the guy got saved. There was a little revival there at the jailhouse and all of these things. Why? Because of prayer. Because people prayed. Because Paul and Silas, in particular, were praying. Let me give you some quick points here. First of all, prayer empties our hearts of cares. You know what? I don't know if you're like me, but I think probably you are in many ways. I collect a lot of baggage over the week. Walking through the week, walking through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all of these things. This stuff accumulates on us. We're, I mean, I think we're sometimes like magnets walking through a field of uh, iron shavings. I, I just, they just suck up to us. And I need to get rid of the baggage. I need to empty my heart of its cares. We are to be pure in heart. And this means to be cleansed and with the ability to be able to see God. But if your life is being bombarded by cares, by problems, by stress, by all of these other things, we desperately need to pray. Because it is prayer that pulls the release pin 
on those stresses, upon those cares, upon all of those things, and allows those things to begin to drop off. But actually, do they really drop off? Actually, what we get, we get the perspective of God into that situation. We begin to see that issue. We begin to see that stress. We begin to see the problem through the eyes of God. We need to empty our heart before God. The Bible says, cast all of your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Hannah, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, had a promise from God. She had God's promise. God spoke to her. God's word impacted her life. She's got something and she's hanging on to it. And the promise was this. You're going to have a son. Well, the son wasn't showing up. He wasn't here and this is what she did. The Bible says she went into the temple and began to cry out to God. I mean to tell you, Hannah let it fly. To the extent the priest was walking by and thought she must be drunk. No, she was just crying out to God. She was just expressing her heart, emptying her heart unto God, unburdening herself before God. And sure enough, a while later, Samuel shows up. Samuel became her son. I need to understand that prayer is far more than some kind of a gimme list, and God is not Santa Claus. When we go to God, we need to begin to learn something. We do learn something about the personality of God. Prayer is an acknowledgement that the answers are beyond our human ability. That's the second thing I want to relate to you. The moment you bow your head to a sovereign God all of, in, of all of the universe, it is also saying, I don't have the answer to this thing. I don't understand what I need to do. I'm in the dark on this situation. I don't understand. I need this, and you're my source. You're my resource as to what to do. I think it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Where Asa is the new king. He's the new king of Judah. And all of a sudden, he's surrounded by these armies. And, and basically, they want to conquer Judah, and they want to take Asa's head off while they're at it. And Asa cries out to God. He said, it is nothing for you, O Lord, to protect us. We have nothing. You have everything. We need you. And God stepped into that, what seemed to be an impossible situation, a hopeless situation, a situation that demanded an answer, but there was no human answer, and God stepped into the midst of it and solved it. Prayer, <clears throat> Prayer is the acknowledgement that the answers are beyond your human ability. It's simply saying, I don't know the conclusion and I can't fix everything, but I know that God can. And I know that God will. Prayer is also essential for making decisions. You cannot get wisdom for decisions by any other means except through prayer. One of the greatest messages of the book of 
Jonah is that he goes through the storms, he goes through the destruction, he goes through the shipwreck, he goes through the belly of the whale. Why? Because he did not pray. Now some may argue, wait a minute, it wasn't prayer was the issue, the issue was obedience. Jonah simply did not obey God. He ignored God. But I, I want to counter your argument on that and say, if he would have been praying, he would have been able to be obedient to God. He just simply didn't know. And he refused to go to God to even find out what God might be uh, saying. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10 says, Remember, for I am the Lord, and there, I am, <clears throat> excuse me, remember, for I am God, and there is no other like me. I am God, and there is none like me, and I, my counsel shall stand, and I will do my pleasure. When you're including God in your decisions, you are acting on what Jesus said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am interested in finding out what heaven has to say about my situation, and then when I find out what it says, I want to be doing what heaven has got to say. And in that manner, God is saying, that's how I'm going to bless you. That's how I'm going to provide for you. That's how I'm going to work in your life. Prayer is like an umbilical cord and gives you the critical link between what is happening in heaven and what is happening on earth. And I want the will of God <coughs> to occur in my life, in my work, in my money, in my everything about my life. Prayer is not a monologue. It is a dialogue. It is a conversation between you and between Almighty God. It is a two-way street that moves in two different, two directions. Now go get down. I think, so, and I've done this. I, I bet you've done it too. I've got down on my knees and my face before God, and I just dumped on God. Just dumped. Here's my problems. Here's what's going on. This is everything. And blah, 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 blah. And then you know what I do? I hang up and stand up and walk out. And it's sort of like, there, there you've got it. Now you've got to do something about it. When I really think God says, I'm happy to do something about it, I wouldn't mind telling you about it, though. And it's because I haven't listened to him. And I miss some of the blessing of God. I believe our generation, I think sometimes our generation has become a little arrogant with some of the things that we do about God. I, I saw, I, honestly, I saw these just within the last week. Articles that have come across. Five steps to bless your money. Seriously? Here's one that's even worse. Four steps to move God. Holy smokes, folks. Who's driving the bus here? Five, four steps to move God? Seriously? That's just sheer arrogance. I'm going to move God. I, you know, I'm glad God is not vindictive. <clears throat> Sometimes I... I can be vindictive. I said, oh, you're going to move me? Watch this. Watch how you won't move me. In fact, I'm going to move you. <laughs> and, 
and things like that. All of this, folks, is a carryover sometimes from the world. It really is. It's nothing more than manipulation. And here's a news flash. You cannot manipulate God. He won't stand for it. He won't do it. It doesn't work. Number four, I believe, prayer strengthens our intimacy with God. <clears throat> this does not come because of the church or the pastor or some movement. God is not some kind of an institution. And I believe sometimes we use these things to cover up our weaknesses and deficiencies in God. In the absence of a real relationship with God, a, a close relationship, how do I get that close relationship with God? I believe it comes from uh, burrowing into the Word, if you will, and allowing that Word to get into my mind and into my spirit. But it also comes as I, as I seek God in prayer, as I spend enough time uh, uh, seeking God so that I can even hear God speak into my life, impress upon my life, so that I know what he wants and what he desires. Remember, some of you are old enough to remember this. You remember the old phones that we used to have way, way back when? If you wanted to make a call, you dialed the operator, and the operator says, well, what do you want? I, I, want, I want to speak to my uncle Clyde in Humboldt. And oddly enough, she would know who that was. And uh, yeah, these operators are great sources of information. And so she'd plug that thing in, and it would start to ring, and, and there came one my uncle. There was a middle person, wasn't there? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the middle person got eliminated. I can go directly to God. Listen to me. I can go directly to God, and I can speak to him. I'm speaking to the God who thundered on the mountain where Moses stood who wrote the Ten Commandments. I'm speaking to the God who opened up the Red Sea and his people walked through on dry land. I'm speaking to the God who dropped the walls of Jericho, supernaturally working on the behalf of his people. I can speak to the God who sent his only begotten son into this world to die for me so that I might have resurrection life and live with him forever. I can speak directly. I don't need a priest. I don't need to do this, do that, do all these other silliness. I can talk to God direct. That line is now open. God broke that barrier. Finally, prayer changes me. Prayer does not necessarily change God, but it will change my attitude. It changes my situation, my perspective, my opinions, my decisions. God says, I am the Lord thy God, and I change not. And so God says, here, let me help you to be adjusted, to change, to be tilted this way or this way or whatever. Let me lift your eyes so that your vision of what I desire <clears throat> is, is available to you. God is saying that when we pray, he's going to touch our lives. He says he's going to unlock doors. He's going to heal the land. He's going to change circumstances. If you're sick and tired, then go to God and talk to God and then listen to God. 
as to what he might say. It's a work in progress, isn't it? It really is. It's a work in progress. And I've been at this for many, many decades, actually. And I'm still figuring it out. I'm still working through it. I'm still trying to, you know, get a... I, I want to get a grip on this thing. And about the time I think I got the grip on it, I, I don't know. It kind of shakes loose or whatever. And, I, and so I discover I need to go back to God. And fortunately, God never gets fed up and says, Look, I've walked you down this lane. How many times don't you get it? <clears throat> but he reaches to me. He says, This is how you hold on to this handle. This is how I'm going to hold on to you. This is how I want to communicate into your life my words which actually give life and bring abundance to your heart, to your life. Acts chapter 12 has an interesting story. This came to me last night. I was just kind of buzzing around in the word and everything. Acts chapter 12 talks about Peter's in prison. It's sort of like, well, what's new? Peter's in prison. Paul's in prison. They're always in prison. Peter's in prison. And, and it looks like, the, uh, looks like the king has found a kind of, a, kind of a, quite a way to get the favor of some of these Jewish leaders, and that's to kill off a few Christians. He's already murdered James. And they were pretty happy about that. <clears throat> now Peter's in prison. He's one of the main spokesmen for this little group. Well, actually, it's not so little anymore. It's several thousand in the church. And he's in prison. The Bible says he's chained up between two guards. And then there's two guards at the door. They don't want this guy to get out. You, you get the picture, don't you? This guy is not getting out of jail, so he's chained up. One guard here, one guard here. <clears throat> I, I don't know. Peter fell asleep in the whole deal. So he's sitting there, head back against the prison wall. He's sound asleep. Over across town, a prayer meeting got going. It was a prayer meeting in the church. And the Bible says this. They were in earnest prayer. Earnest prayer. And in chapter 12, verse 5, earnest prayer was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer. I mean, they weren't just sitting around some little circle and humming kumbaya. These people were calling out to God. These people were moving in God's spirit. This was serious prayer. Serious. Was made to God. Meanwhile, back in jail, an angel shows up. And here's Peter, sound asleep. The angel kind of, I, I see it, it's sort of like, hey, wake up. What's going on? Wake up. The chains fell off. 
And he says, we're getting out of here. Put something on. So he did. They walked out. Everything, everybody's blinded. The chains are off. The guards at the door, they don't even see it. There's a funny part of this story. Peter goes to the house where they're having the prayer meeting. And it's interesting, he starts banging on the door. A servant girl named Rhoda comes, and she says, I think I just saw Peter's ghost. He must be dead. So she went back inside, <laughs> shut the door. Peter keeps banging on the door. They're in there interceding like crazy. Peter's out here banging on the door. Finally, somebody says, well, we should go see who this is. Well, lo and behold, it's Peter. You should come inside. Sometimes, quite honestly, God answers our prayer, and we say, wow, what was that? And we've been praying about this and doing all this. Earnest prayer, folks, was made unto God by the church. I want you to keep this in mind. The angel that fetched Peter out of prison, the angel that was fetching Peter out of prison, it was prayer that summoned the angel. It was prayer that summoned the angel. Donnelly, would you come back, please? <clears throat> The Bible says, call on me, and I will answer, and I will show you great and mighty things. Keep in mind, this is the God that delivered Israel. This is the God that caused the sun to stand still so that Israel could win a victory. This is the kind of God we're dealing with. This is a God who answered by fire on top of Mount Carmel and Elijah. And the people of God were turned to God that day. It's prayer. It's prayer. I want to encourage every person in this room. I just certainly want to encourage you. Put your heart into prayer this week. I mean, put it into it. Carve out some time. I know we're all busy. I understand that. Carve out some time where you can honestly sincerely sit down, kneel down. I don't care, you can stand up if you want. I don't, doesn't matter. And pray. And then take a piece of that time and just simply quiet yourself before the Lord and make this one expression, I need to hear from you. And then quit talking. Quit praying. And listen for God. Just listen. And don't do this. If I don't hear anything in 30 seconds, I'm out of here. Give God a moment. Give God a moment and listen to him. And what we said in our class this morning, why don't you do this? Write yourself a note. What did God say to me? What was he saying? And I think you'll be surprised. At the end of the week, you're going to look at that note sheet and say, hey, God really did talk to me this week. And this is what's going on. And I think that's just incredible what he will do in your life. Amen? God does it his way. Remember that. <clears throat> I don't dictate to God. I like to, though. 
don't you? I like to tell God how to do stuff. Uh, he rarely listens to me. In fact, he doesn't listen to me at all. But he says, I'm going to do it my way. And it's going to be an amazing way. Amen? Stand with me. Father, we thank you so much today that you've given us a means called prayer in which we can communicate with you and you can communicate to us. Father, I believe there's nothing more than I would desire this week, nothing, absolutely nothing more, than to just simply hear from you. I'd like to hear your conversation into my soul and my spirit and my mind about the desires that you have for me personally, for this church, for people, all kinds of things. Father, I pray that you'll give me the discipline necessary to be able to hear from you. Also give me the discipline that carves out time in my busy life to just simply spend time with you doing nothing else, nothing else on the agenda. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help us this week to explore an entirely, perhaps brand new area of our spiritual life. I pray that we'll come back next Sunday and that there's going to be a buzz because we talk to you and you talk to us. And we thank you for that. We bless the name of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen, amen.